Hey guys, this is Sarah Beth, and you are listening to episode 39 of the Simply 127 podcast. Today's guest is Drew Rayner. Drew is married to Taylor, and they have four kids. Um, he's an adoptive dad, and he's a pastor at Harvest Church in Cary, North Carolina. And he's going to talk about both of those things and how it relates to people tangibly living out James 127. Um, he's also a good friend of mine. So thanks so much for joining us today, Drew. You're welcome, Sarah Beth. I'm excited to do it and good to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to think of how to introduce our history because we have quite the, the Simply 127, 127 worldwide history. So uh, maybe we'll get into that with some of these questions. Yeah, my, my parents have basically adopted you, so <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm talking to my quasi-adoptive sister or my ministry partner or my friend or in some regard, all of the above. I, I do love my Georgia family, so um, I'm very thankful for your parents adopting me. <laughs> um, let's just jump right in. I'd love for you briefly just to tell us your story. I know adoption is a part of your story, so at what point did you and your wife introduce us to her as well? She's a a dear friend. Um, just kind of tell us that, like at what point did the desire to adopt enter into the conversation and also just give us a little bit of your background as well? Yeah. So I got married to my wife, Taylor, about 10 years ago. And we actually, right after getting married, uh, came back from our honeymoon to Raleigh, uh, where uh, the church that you're a member of, Amago Day, mm-hmm. was in like living room stage with several couples. And so we moved really to Raleigh to help plant Imago Day. And um, as we had been dating and in our relationship, adoption had been a part of our conversation and a part of our dreams and prayers. But it was really then in those three years there um, at Imago Day where we got to see adoption actually happening. I grew up in a place where adoption was not common and very, very, very few people that I grew up around were adopted or had adopted or or even much conversation around it. And so Mm -hmm. there was a a couple of pastors there whose families had adopted and just getting to see it in action as well as as really walking through the gospel motivations and the reasons why beyond even just general care and heartstrings um, being pulled, we would want to adopt. And so that that really it was really born in our hearts there, and we had begun a family and and have two sons biologically. They're our oldest kids, and at that point, we we really felt like God was leading us to adopt, and and didn't know how many would uh, fill our nest. And so, with number three, we uh, began the process of domestic adoption, and so got married in in two thousand eleven, and then in twenty seventeen. Uh, we welcomed our little girl, who's now four, uh, whose name is Emerson. And so, um, obviously, a lot of life and stuff in between there. But um, <laughs> those are the highlights. Happened. Yeah, and then another addition at, since Emerson too. <laughs> yeah. So then, yeah, number four, number four, surprise, surprise, uh, came in uh, oh. just a year and a half ago. So I don't think I realized you came like from your honeymoon to Raleigh. Like your whole married life has been living in Raleigh, Cary area. Yeah, which was strange because we were both Georgia people. And so like just before our wedding, we moved all of our stuff into a tiny little uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological <laughs> Seminary apartment. Yeah. And, um, and then both came home married and North Carolinians, which 
here we are now in Cary and stuck. Well, go ahead and let's take the brief journey as well through Harvest and the church plant from IDC. Just tell us a little bit about that. I guess seven yeah, well, years ago. I, I, I'm not sure. You know, we, we say we love each other, but uh, I left and you came. Uh, <laughs> so I think we missed each other by like a week, a Sunday. Um, yeah, that there. is true. I, right. I tease uh, the Rainers about that. My first Sunday, I think, was their goodbye service. So they, they got out of town when they heard Sarah Beth was coming. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so we um, we really went to Amago Day with with a thought and a prayer that we would end up going out from Mago Day as uh, a part of a team that would plant a church. And as God would have it, um, started seminary alongside helping IDC start in 2011. And then as I was wrapping up seminary in 2014, uh, another family that was at IDC with us uh, and our family and several other couples moved down sort of to the southwest side of uh, RDU. Uh, to carry mm-hmm. and planted sort planted it was sort of like a plant slash revitalization replant effort but to start harvest church and mm-hmm. harvest is is seven years old this fall and so oh, that's awesome it's uh been a wild fun crazy blessed journey yeah. uh, thus far god really opened the doors for you guys and your building and location i know that's for a separate podcast but Definite God activity with that. Yeah, lots of grace on display there for sure. <laughs> yeah, so before we hit record, I was also explaining we have the uh, adoptive father lane we could take or the pastor who's trying to shepherd his people towards James one twenty seven. So I, I want to try to hit both quickly, so I might hop around a little bit. But first, I would okay. love for you just to explain um, your journey through adoption, the process, I know things are slowing down. You'd considered international, um, ended up adopting domestically. How did that process change your relationship with God, your marriage? Kind of like personally talk through us some of those um, experiences. Yeah, well, from the the standpoint of just personally and and in relationship with with God, I think the process of, of entering into adoption just has a way that it, deepens and and just shifts our my and, and did shift my perspective on God as a father, God as uh one who loved me, uh even even seeing, you know, in, in the story myself in I think more accurate, more gospel uh centered, gospel saturated lenses, just in the sense of, of what uh adoption did in my heart. Mm-hmm. Really in, in reference to worship. Um walking through this journey experientially in my own life and seeing it played out and reading it play out across the pages of, of the Bible and just being brought over and over again to uh, thankfulness and gratitude for the gospel. Um, I grew up in an amazing home and honestly, for most of my life had, had very little suffering and, um, and, and, when that's the case, it, it, it's easy to to. It was easy for me to theorize or 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 stay in. I think ideology in terms of my sin and my suffering and my need, my desperate need for uh, a savior, and um, just seeing how our story played out and all the different pieces of it, and then just realizing um, 
I was, my situation was far worse, uh, spiritually speaking, far worse than, and far more broken or, or, or hard and dark and, and lost than even the situation that we were a part of in our adoption. And just mm-hmm. that out of all of that comprehensive brokenness and mess that I was in, God came. God came and and loved me and sought me out and and so I think and it's been obviously incremental over time too but just worship and gratitude and thankfulness um, would be one big word and then mm-hmm. the other I think would be desperation you know I think as you know and anybody that's in ministry or certainly in ministry oriented around the vulnerable or the orphan or families that adopt know that it's hard there's so much pain and brokenness and uncertainty and difficulty around adoption and orphan care. And for us, you know, domestic adoption and the the journey of presenting profile books to prospective (laughs) uh, birth moms and birth families um, and having to deal with repetitive over and over again, no's. I think we heard like 30 no's uh, before the amazing Wednesday afternoon phone call that (laughs) let us know that we were being, uh, chosen or picked or whatever to be placed. And so just that place of like sorrow and grief and uh, uncertainty and doubt, and then just being like really in a place where it's like, okay, God, I've got, I don't have answers here and I can't manufacture this to happen. And um, that place of just desperation and need, I think God used our adoption journey uh, deeply to cultivate that. And, um, I'm thankful he did. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's that trusting, it's out of your hands and just knowing that God's in control probably is very real when you're waiting on that phone call. <laughs> yeah. And when, so, I guess when so, so much of you is wrapped up, so much of us was wrapped up in prayer and in thought and in planning and in pursuit and just being so certain that that's where God was going to have us go. And then to be like facing such hardship and headwinds and difficulties. And, you know, I know there's a lot of folks in the adoption world that have experienced, even in my own life and friends of mine that have experienced much more, even difficult uh, loss and tragedy and suffering. And it's, it brings you to a place of real desperation where you're at the, at the bottom and at the end of yourself and all you got is Christ there. I love that you almost shared opposites of like one end being worship and gratitude and the other end being desperation. So I think this is a question I've asked on this season of the podcast. We've talked about <clears throat> the truth of the gospel and how the gospel is central to the work, not only of adoption, but caring for the vulnerable. So I'd love just to hear a little bit more on like what connections can you make with this based on your personal experience, based on your pastoral experience? Um, how is the gospel central to this work? I know you did say a little bit, but anything else you could expand on? Yeah, and I, I, I did say a little bit, and, and I'm sure that most of the folks that will listen to this have heard have heard this. It's not anything novel, but it's it's really deeply true and profound. And that is uh, up and up until being involved with adoption and in our journey to to bring Emerson into our family, I, I feel like. I for sure, and I want to speak for my, my wife, but certainly in my own heart, uh, I, I viewed adoption really externally and as a call that I, w- I was like moving into a place of brokenness as some hero and, and light and, and, and life bringer mm-hmm. and, and didn't really truthfully, maybe I would have with my words, but not with the, with the, the state of my soul and the depths of my heart, 
say that I was the vulnerable and mm-hmm. that, that, uh, I recognized that I was a hopeless, lifeless, lost person in desperate need of a, a father and a king and a savior. And that that's what God did to come and, and care for me. Um, and so just from the standpoint of the gospel, that that, that is what he did, that he uh, came, that God was moved from just feelings of empathy or compassion or care to actually come. And that God knew that all those feelings, all those truths of his nature, empathy and compassion and grace, they, they couldn't remain just theoretical. They had, he had to come, he had to incarnate to come and rescue sinners and set broken things uh, right and make uh, sad things come untrue and restore everything to himself. He had to come. And so just uh, moving from that personal identification as the vulnerable to really seeing how uh, God in recognizing me, uh, me as a vulnerable one came, uh, came into my mess and came into my brokenness. And um, and now as one rescued. Yeah. We talk about that a lot, even with the work of 127 worldwide, how we are not the rescuer, even though it's easy to put, you know, this kind of savior complex into our psyche that we are rescued, not the rescuers. So that's a good reminder. Yeah, which is for us, for me, been really the key to freedom and joy because mm-hmm. I can't and we can't carry that mantle um, that will lead us to either pride or despair and end up causing us to lay unrealistic expectations on our families or on the kids that we're caring for and ourselves and Man, breathing air as one just rescued by grace, now <laughs> able to just worship in the overflow of that is uh, is is good news for us to to just sit in. Yeah, I mean, not to mention that Emerson's probably the perfect daughter, so you don't have to worry about having negative yeah, thoughts. Absolutely, <laughs> just completely perfect and <laughs> and flawless. Yes. Um, let's see. I want to ask a little bit. Uh, I, I know you talked about just your community um, before you adopted. Can you just talk about the strong community, the role that friends and family have played for your family these last few years, and how important that might be for someone who's considering adoption or foster care? Yeah, I just think it's critical. I mean, I think in our circles, we talk a lot about community and that all of life is a community project. And if that's the case, it certainly applies to things like caring for the orphan and and diving into territory that's way above our our heads and above our pay grade. And yeah. I just think that you know our story is full. Our our journey with Emerson is full of people, mm-hmm. humans that you know love Jesus and have loved us and have donated stuff for yard sales and have prayed lots of prayers and cooked lots of meals and watched our kids and, and, and just surrounded us. And, you know, we are needy people with sin and who will suffer and who desperately need help. And certainly I think, you know, theologically and biblically, we know that, that God, if we're in Christ is for us and, and always with us. But I think tangibly he manifests that through his people. And so often how he, proves to us his presence and love is, is through his people. And, um, 
just going through a journey like foster care, adoption, and, and really anything within that realm with mm-hmm. others who will who have who have sat with us, who've cried with us, who've prayed with us, who've brought you tacos. Journey. Yeah, who brought tacos <laughs> and just smiled and been a friend. Um <laughs> I know you really feel the love of God in, in tacos, so I can go ahead and yeah. throw that out there. Anytime you can have good friends that love Jesus and <laughs> love tacos and <laughs> love caring for orphans, uh, it makes the road a whole lot more easy yeah. to, uh, to yeah. navigate. I want to shift gears a little bit, talk about your role as a pastor. Also, just a reminder for you and for our listeners, um, your dad has an episode on the podcast and Jeremy Wixon, the fish farmer. So I wanted you to kind of tell your side of that story very briefly, but also we'll put in the show notes in the show notes, those other two episodes so people can kind of hear how your network's connected with 127. Uh, I think that's one of the greatest stories of the 127 worldwide history. So I wanted to definitely hear a little bit more from you about that. Yeah, that, that all is quite a story. Um, <laughs> and, you know, as I am, a bi- I'm a bivocational pastor. And so as sort of wearing both hats, working in a family business and pastoring, um, it's been an interesting journey to have sort of my vocational life intertwined with 127 worldwide and the ministry of harvest, obviously deeply partnered with and, and, involved with with 127 worldwide but the 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 story there being you know just how god orchestrated uh the the movement of our company to desire to engage in mission and ministry specifically to the vulnerable and to even orphans specifically and how that uh just in time and space lined up with us hiring uh, a warehouse manager with a with a dissertation on fish biology who wanted to go and use it among the third world to care for orphans and then obviously a 127 worldwide strategic partner really wanting uh, some uh, some ponds and some <laughs> some means to grow fish at an orphanage and just in I don't even know you you may know better than I do how many years ago that was where uh, the Rainer Company hiring Jeremy with a desire to go to the third world and your partner wanting to move into an aquaponics kind of uh, ministry manifestation all just coalesced into like yeah. it was six a week years later, ago. So we're on a plane going to Africa. <laughs> six years ago. Yeah. Like six I said, we'll ago. put those in the show notes because they're much more detail. I think a specific question is um, how has it been watching your dad? kind of go through his journey of the last six years yeah it's been it's been really cool because i think it has a lot of of, a lot of crossover to even pastorally at harvest but it's it's been watching uh something that was theory and maybe concern from afar become engagement close up in a really Mm -hmm. unexpected way and I think we can easily think about small boxes of, okay, to care for orphans and the vulnerable looks like this, 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 or this. And, and just seeing how the business and my dad and, and Jeremy brought an, a massively unexpected uh, set of skills <laughs> into uh, the equation, surrendered it to the Lord, and he's using it. Um, you don't typically think of growing fish as uh, a tool for orphan care. And 
you know, and then just and then and just being so thrilled that God's used it over the last six years to really stoke the fire in my family and in my dad and our company for uh, orphan care and to see how God is uniquely using how they're wired to do that and and then to just really reapply it over into the general conversation that just says you know whether it's raising fish or pigs or being a school teacher or being an empty nester with lots of band you know whatever the big Mm -hmm. range of either time talent passion is we have an amazing mighty creative sovereign god who has fit people uh and made people as he would do and fit them together to to move his kingdom and his character and his gospel to the world and um it's exciting to see those connection points happen and see people really get it like man i really can be a part of this i really can engage this work in in significant ways both significant to my own you know their own lives and hearts and significant into like what what those lanes are able to 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 see happen for the care of the vulnerable. So it's been pretty amazing. Yeah, I love that. Just as a pastor, you challenging your people. How has God gifted you, and how can you use that in kingdom work and in in His what God's doing around the world? I think that's yeah. Which a we really have to ask that question. Yeah. You know, I think that we have to ask that because that's what the the Bible is forcing us there. I mean, from the very beginning, God chose. And marked out a refugee people fleeing slavery as his people. And over and over and over again makes it clear that the sojourner, the refugee, the orphan, the widow, the vulnerable, that's who he's with. And and then, of yeah. course, I mean, James one twenty seven, which is what we're all about, I think, removes any uh, any possibility that if we follow Jesus, we can skirt out somehow of being involved in that certainly doesn't mean everybody on planet Earth that loves Jesus must foster a child or adopt a child, but it does mean we have to have to ask, given what I am and where I am and who I am, how does God want to leverage that yeah. for uh, the care of those that are most vulnerable? And you know, I see it as really a part of my job as a pastor and leader to lay the gospel out, the Bible out, to clearly to clearly paint that picture of our God, a God that cares for the vulnerable, and then to make sure that there's open dialogue and clear handlebars all over the place here for uh, mechanics and engineers and bankers and CPAs and stay-at-home moms and everybody in between to to put their hands on the plow to, to care for folks. There's a way you can engage, and, and you kind of get to steer people in some of the right directions. So, Yeah, and, and, and to really see... Uh, the Lord use uh, that to 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 cultivate hearts that really do love and care for the vulnerable and to, and you know even within our church to see how God's raising up people to really enter deeply into foster care and adoption and to see how our community here has rallied around uh, even those families and, and individuals to provide just amazing care, community, support, and love that is is so beautiful to see. And it's yeah. glorifying to God, and it serves those folks, and it's meaningful, and it's it's beautiful to see people be involved. Yeah, yeah. I think I told you this is a Drew Rayner um, example that I steal, but I would love for you to—you talked about it a little bit, but 
how your role as a pastor, the word I remember you saying is like, your job is to not create the lanes, but just let your people know of all the different lanes and the creative ways that God is working and then just help them find their lane and run in it. So I would love if you can expand a little bit more, if there's anything else, maybe a specific example from a Harvest member or um, just how that has looked in your church over the last few years. Yeah, I think it, it's it's been about trying to dismantle um, the myth that that only gift sets or occupations or you know emotion emotional men, men, mentalities that are are fit for orphan care are in strict in strict sort of let's feed orphans with uh, food or let's start a school or let's send backpacks or let's, you know, be a certain kind of person in a certain vocation. And mm-hmm. I think opening up those lanes where, whether it be, you know, opening up lanes for respite care or um, short-term trips to, to, to engage with the care of orphans, even through, you know, 127 worldwide partners or seeing, mm-hmm. um, you know, seeing men, uh, men around our, church with with uh tactical skills and carpentry skills and and landscaping skills connect uh real needs just i mean even thinking specifically about 127 and it's like well there's there's there is orphan care but there's a lot of there's a lot of needs around those especially in uh and around the world of those that are are, are caring for orphans most impactfully where they need all kinds of support and people and the people of god to rally and so seeing uh, folks that can build things and work with their hands or are good with numbers and can help in in budgeting or financial management. Like there's yeah. there's all kinds of ways where we can comprehensively be the people of God and and care for orphans. And so I think it's it's dispelling the myth that oh well because I'm not cut out in this one character profile then I'm just going to leave orphan care and and care for the vulnerable to the to the other folks and to really say no hey. If you've got a heart that beats and and loves Jesus, then um, there's there's a there's a tangible way that you can that you can be involved. And thankfully, yeah. with partners like with like like you guys uh, that are doing comprehensive care for the vulnerable around the world, um, it's amazing what all opportunities there are. Whether it be in the context of of education or uh, equipping, you know. Yeah. older older kids and and youth in in the orphanages around the world with with skills and trade it's 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 amazing to see how the lord's using um his people and his people at harvest and 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 elsewhere to to really to really dive in yeah and when you get your people excited that's really what jazzes you up too i can tell <laughs> yeah for sure um because the more the more we're involved in it, and the more our people are 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 excited about it, the more I feel like we, as His people, are really uh, tasting the gospel and experiencing yeah. Him and manifesting Him in the world, and um, that's exciting. It's yeah. Exciting to see God shape us that way. Maybe um, in closing, a similar question to like how you would encourage or words of wisdom for parents or considering foster and adoption. What are some things you would say to a pastor who might be interested in kind of getting this ball rolling at his church? How would you kind of encourage him to get his people excited about what God's doing? Yeah, I think, 
I think it begins with some with the serious prayer and contemplation around the gospel and and the the unavoidable tie that the scriptures make uh, of the gospel to adoption, and then even further than that, then to how we as His people uh, are called to flesh that out by caring for the orphan and the widow. Uh, and so I think it, it starts there. And then um, similarly to what I said earlier about just, just starting something, I think there's, uh, there's, there's just, we have to start. We have to start with mm-hmm. partners. We have to start with awareness. You know, is, is it, is it a one twenty seven worldwide uh, info meeting? Is it a dinner at a house with key leaders or deacons where, Something where someone can share and, and and begin to just pray and rally around um, how a heart for orphan care will be stirred up in their church, and you know we we've even experienced like beginning to to reach out to your local your local town or 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 county and to begin engaging with social workers and those that are that are locally engaged in yeah. this work to be a partner and to be a liaison that's not trying to loop. Le- to, to leap from, oh, well, how do I get from where I am to somewhere that's far, far away with people that I don't know? And maybe the, the real, the real first step is to start locally and and to begin there and, and to, to begin just communicating and casting vision and making, uh, not making orphan care, uh, above the, the outright gospel in in significance and priority, but but making the tie and the connection there really clear. Yeah. Um, not skipping over the, the church. Not skipping over the passages that have to do with that. <laughs> not that you yeah, do and, that, and, but <laughs> and more and more explicitly, you know, going there, going yeah. there, and, yeah. and really and really making it clear that to be a community shaped by the gospel, if we're going to be healthy and faithful, we have to be a community shaped by care for the vulnerable and. Man, I think that'll preach right there by itself. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today, Drew. Thanks so much just for your honesty, transparency, and um, just for your wisdom. And just I'm grateful for your friendship and partnership. Yeah, you too, Sarah Beth. It's uh, a joy to be here. And I'll uh, I'll hang up with uh, this call and jump on the calendar and, and make sure we get our next taco night. Uh, I think it's your all's turn to can. bring me tacos, actually. It is. That's right. We'll <laughs> bring right. tacos in the Wild Rainer crew your way, so <laughs> make sure you're ready. All right. Thanks, Drew. Thank you, Sarah Beth. Appreciate it. I know I did just say this, but I really am so grateful for Drew, just for his transparency, both about his family's domestic adoption and about leading his church members to tangibly live out James 127. Um, Make sure you're back in two weeks when we have the season two finale of Simply 127. Uh, We began this little project two years ago, and of course I'm biased, but I think we have created some great content, and we've really held space for some great conversations. So thanks so much for listening, and as always, if you like what you hear, please share an episode with a friend, and we look forward to seeing you back here in two weeks.